right, everyone, welcome to Talking Force. I'm Tom Newman. We're here today with Coach TJ Bellinger, the Director of Sports Performance and Innovation at Yale University. Uh, we're very lucky to have him on today, and I think you all enjoy this. This is going to be an incredible story about just development, um, both as an individual and as a coach, and kind of excited to share this story. Um, I know many of our customers, many of our listeners um, are either in some form of the fashion, uh, a young student trying to develop in the career or a senior mentee that's trying to figure out how to develop the next generation. And so I couldn't be more excited to have our guest today uh, because not only has he lived it and gone through it step by step, he also now is on the other side um, and being able to do it all in the same institution that he started in uh, is a pretty incredible story. So with that being said, Coach TJ, thank you for joining us. Thank you. How's it going, Coach? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, uh, Coach TJ was uh, one of the first individuals um, that we had at the program at Yale, um, actually part of the original class, even before uh, we formalized that summer in 2017. And so, uh, again, as I mentioned in the intro, he was literally, I remember his first day, um, you know, I threw a PVC pipe to him and said, hey, go run a vert. And with no context of what station or what we were going to do, um, you know, he happily grabbed the PVC stick and he was all in. He said, all right, here we go. Um, and and uh, from that point on, uh, we realized we probably got to do a better job um, at, at teaching and educating and training. And so what he did, um, both in the spring, but then moving forward, was really stepped up into a role and really kind of helped me and, and the rest of the staff um, develop this curriculum. And you, I've mentioned it to people before, the success that we had at Yale uh, could not have happened without the people that we had on staff and we brought on board. And again, the nice thing about uh, Coach TJ is that he was the intern. He saw the interns come through, but then actually really, really helped create, craft, and construct the curriculum that they have in today um, and really refine that process. And so as you're listening and you're thinking about your staff, really everybody on staff has a strength. And one of the things that Coach TJ did um, was bring an operations order and really clarity to each and every step, uh, step and task that we had. Um, I remember when we were evaluating him for his first hire, uh, someone asked, well, why him? Well, you know, un uncommon to most strength coaches, he had a previous career of being an ICU nurse. That's my simpleton logic was, wow, uh, if people that are, you know, potentially going to die are being put in his hands, that's probably good for an incoming freshman. Um, and, you know, that's someone who follows the rules, but then also astute enough to be able to look ahead. Um, so that was really great. Um, and then again, the story kind of writes itself, uh, going from being an assistant um, as a paid assistant, working with one or two teams to moving up into a full-time assistant role where it was managing, I believe uh, it was either five or six teams concurrently at once. Um, and then really kind of within, I don't know, the last year or two, really uh, shaped up into being second in command and being able to help not only oversee operations, but also see opportunities to get better, opportunities to refine the processes. And so I couldn't be happier. Um, I've mentioned to many people, again, uh, you know, leaving a place like Yale is a uh, bittersweet, but what kind of gets me excited is uh, being able to hand it off to somebody who I know understands the ethos that we built, uh, the program and the, the dynasty uh, that was started and excited to watch it grow uh, to the next level. So with that being said, Coach TJ, tell me a little bit about what's going on now. What are you guys working on and uh, how are things? Well, what's going on now is uh, we are currently in the process of getting a new facility up and running and uh, also having our staff get adjusted to uh, life post coach Newman and uh, 
you know, as, as coach had mentioned here, um, I've been able to step up in, in my roles a bit. Uh, and then with the suddenness of the change, now all of the staff that is still here um, is looking into the same thing. So really figuring out everyone's position for them to go through the transition that I had recently gone through. So that's really my, my big focus is helping my staff get into their roles and, you know, be able to bring one product for the rest of the student athletes that we have here um, on top of now managing three facilities and getting ready for Yale to bring sports back. So that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. You mentioned their transition and development. I think, you know, and again, they kind of go hand in hand um, maybe kind of educate people who don't know kind of the setup at Yale, kind of how many facilities, how many athletes, you know, I'm sure you have a staff that's, uh, completely well, uh, distributed evenly with, uh, you know, bankers hours, walk everybody through a little bit, just so they have an understanding for maybe some of our people who, uh, are overseas, don't really understand the size of the operation, walk them through kind of, um, what, the, the behemoth of Yale is. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, totally normal hours and all the fun stuff there. So Yale has now three facilities that if all three are running at the same time, you'll have about 105 to 110 athletes training at one time. With that being said, there's 800 plus varsity athletes. And due to the world situation that we've been in, we're probably looking closer to 900 to 1,000 athletes that will be on varsity teams this coming fall. Um, we have seven coaches. Out of those seven coaches, um, four are full-time, if I'm getting my math correct. Yep. No. Yeah, four, five, five full-time. Ah, I, I can't do math. Sorry. Five full-time, um, unless we're talking pounds and weights on the bar, uh, the math is tough, but five full-time coaches and then two uh, part-time assistant coaches who kind of work with either a specific team or have less teams and assist with others. Um, so if you divide that up by the estimated 1,000 student-athletes coming in, you're looking at each coach being responsible for about 100 student-athletes, which, if you go back to what I said before, is about how many kids are training at a time. So when you really look at those numbers, you can imagine that our day is not exactly a banker's day. You're looking at anywhere between a 12 to 14 hour workday on average with somewhere between 18 to 24 floor hours in a week, um, along with all the uh, hours that you put in outside of the weight room to really make sure we're help developing our kids as best as possible. Awesome. And, and, you know, I was very fortunate to, you know, have an incredible staff as you kind of go on and build your own and you've made some really incredible um, selections and hires here uh, moving into the fall. Walk me through kind of what that plan is like. I know we've mentioned before um, in previous podcasts about, you know, making sure you set up coaches for success. And so not only is it the, maybe the technical aspects of uh, coaching, queuing, things like that, but also understanding, you know, who has really strong emotional intelligence, who has really strong book smarts and, and kind of place them in a role. Could you kind of just walk through kind of how that looks? And if somebody's listening to figure out how do you even go about starting doing that, um, you know, with any staff? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think that the first and foremost thing we kind of should address is the fact that we make sure that we bring people into Yale that understand the training element, the way that you know, is taught and professed to them. So one of the biggest indicators uh, 
that someone's ready to come here. It's generally they have had to come through our internship. You know, we, we talk to people from outside all the time, but the, the training that we do is so rooted in science, so rooted in logic and such a combination of what was studied and developed early on combining it with all the new technology that we have now to really perfect everything that we did that if people can't manage the two of those that Yale's not a good fit for them and they're not a good fit for our staff because with going back to what I said before you know the 800 to 1000 athletes that we have we want to guarantee that if you work with any coach in the room it is like you're going to work with the last with the coach that is assigned to be your team because it's, it's impossible to expect that your strength and conditioning coach will be at every single session that you're at. So we want no drop off in the quality of training. So that's first and foremost. And then to set the coaches up for success, we really try to identify, you know, what their superpower is going back to what coach Newman said, you know, my superpower was operations, logistics, organization, and um, kind of have building and having systems and algorithms for how things need to get done if he didn't allow me to do that and he had put me in charge of being the innovation person and coming up with all the new ideas right away, I would have crumbled. So him setting me up to be in a position to, to use my skills while developing my weaknesses allowed me to get to where I'm at now. And so that's really been the first approach that I've had is identifying my staff members strong skills and putting them into the position that like, this is what you are doing now as the full-time coach. This is what you're responsible to teach the other coaches and bring our staff up to that level across the board. Um, and the, the biggest thing you see when you put people into those positions is excitement. They get excited that they have their power, their superpower. They get excited that they have an element that they get to dive into and be committed to. And in this job where, you know, some things are going to constantly be the same, like there's an off season, there's a, there's an in season, there's a post season, there, there's all of those elements that it's almost the same every year. You'd like to have that excitement of new things to learn and try. So them being responsible for that particular aspect of our job or our setup, uh, has, has really sparked all of our coaches on staff right now. Give me an example. You know, I think about, you mentioned a pretty thorough process there. And again, having both been a part of it, but then also too, as it moves forward, how do you think it's really changed and, and whether it's for the better or just change in general, since when you went through it and you remembered it, what really kind of stood out to you as things that worked or, or things that you have to have? I know, um, obviously we were very fortunate to have people constantly trying to poach our interns, placing them in all sorts of places. So w- there was definitely, um, methodology. Uh, truthfully, I can, I can go and say that I, I didn't really have to worry about that. That was kind of your department. How, how did you go from, again, let me throw you a PVC pipe in the middle of, you know, preseason, uh, sorry, off season testing and football to where it's at now, where it seems really groomed. I know we had people say, you know, so-and-so is not good, or this young coach really lacks whatever. sounds like you take more of the approach of, yeah, we know you're not good. That's why you're a young coach, but you do have these traits. You do get excited. Um, let me build something around you. And that, that's a little different. Could you kind of dive into that? Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing that we really use to, to kind of guide that development is again, finding those people who care. It's something that 
I believe was told to you when you came here and then you've passed it down to me and it keeps getting passed on to every new hire that we have is nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And um, that's really been the first element of everything that I did. Yeah, my first plans that I wrote for my field hockey team, they were awful. They were not good. I would never write those plans again. But what I did to get that team to buy into me was reach out communication and their first you know month of having me I was like hey I'm going to come to the dining hall well, well you guys wanted to talk nutrition I'll sit in the dining hall with you to go through like what you should be eating as a person and you know who's an athlete as well as a Yale student and then you know if you have questions on how to make decisions helping there so it started off with that to now I'm at the point where the kids come to me on that team and you know they want to talk about the standards and how to help their team and i'm like yeah that's a great idea let's go do that and you know i'm almost uh just there as supervision at this point and with the little tiny details getting to focus on coaching so my change in development as a coach has gone from having to do a ton of little detailed things like that that have almost nothing to do with coaching to now i get to focus on the you know, the little tiny details, I, I, you know, I do the same work with the incoming kids every year to make sure that they understand like, Hey, I'm here available if you need this, but also pointing like the, the kids on your teams know how to do this. The, the older, the older girls on field hockey know how to do this, go ask them. And just having been through it at that point, every team that I've taken over, that's been, you know, one of the biggest ways that they bought into me as a coach and bought into all of our staff as a coach. I'll never forget when I went to sailing for one practice and went out in the motorboat, kids still talk about it that just graduated this year. And that was four years ago. So, um, you know, that was what I spent a lot of my time doing. And then as that, you know, kind of understanding of my commitment to the team got spread, I was able to sit back and focus a bit more on, all right, now let me learn how to do some basic programs that are out there that we know work. And then as I ran those programs and saw those results, it's like, okay, what elements of those programs work? Now I'll start writing my programs for my kids and you know, see what I get for results. And now I'm at that point where if I needed to write you know, three or four programs tomorrow, we can get them out and run them and I'll be able to teach somebody else how to run them because we know what we're looking at. But again, that was a four year process now of going through, like I need to be at the dining hall to now I can sit and really break down and analyze all of the different elements of training that I've utilized. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest misconception is, is that you know the tools in the toolbox really make the coach. Um, I can tell you a lot of times people showed up with a ton of tools and, and they didn't have the buy-in. So you can't really use them. You might have the best program scientifically, neurologically, whatever. But if the students or the athletes or the clients don't like you, that really, really kills the intent. We, I think we saw that firsthand throughout the seasons of teams that, yes, you can lift, you can squat, you can do whatever the exercise is. But when you lift with intent, it makes such a difference. And, you know, you mentioned there, you know, quite a range to go from working with football, men's lacrosse, field hockey, sailing, and you forgot to mention fencing that's and you, you go into that and women's basketball and go down the line. And that's, that's just teams that you, you know, directly oversaw. But then when you get into, you know, happily working with a tennis player or working with a rugby player. And I think that that's, again, the athletes really, really, it's great that you have your letters after your name, but the athletes really have to 
understand how much you care. And that doesn't mean that you have to be happy all the time and over the top hype person. Everybody has their different style. Um, but you as the coach have to reciprocate that intensity of how much you care. And that could be through writing an individualized program that could be making sure your tonnages are correct, understanding if their power output is down that day, um, that there are other options and go to that, you know, session with the idea of we're going to administer the best program for you. Um, I think athletes really eat that up. I, I remember, you know, people saying, you know, you know, oh, football, you know, it's very intense. It's like, well, you know, so are field hockey. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty intimidating. Our gymnastics team, I mean, step back, you know, you let me know if you need anything. They are driven, they are focused, but I think that's not unique just to Yale. That's any athlete craves a coach who's being intentional. So again, they know the difference between, you know, hey, this is a workout or this is the rebranded football workout. And now it's supposed to work for soccer. Um, that doesn't fly anymore. And I think that now with some of the technology and some of the opportunities, you can have a staff of five or six to scale for a thousand um, if you use that technology uh, down the road. But it's important to make sure that, as you mentioned, you stay in your comfort zone. Uh, walk me through, and I know we've joked about this, you know, the kind of the growth and development as a coach, like what are you looking for? I, I remember us going in and doing debriefs and you and I would have a conversation about that was awful. Then you walk in and the intern might be like, yeah, that went great. You know, and then a younger coach might be like, well, that could have been better. Uh, and then, you know, the senior coaches are like, oh, wow, you know, next time we need to not do it. And then you and I would have conversations. OK, how do we make sure we build a process and system? And I know that we got a lot, a lot, a lot of positive feedback on just how systematic things work at Yale. But then also having the agility to be able to make a sudden change or a quick pivot, you know, kind of walk through that or some of your thoughts of what you've seen throughout the years on the, uh, the development of the uh, different levels of coaches. Oh yeah, I, I'll. I can even think of when I was there as a intern, pre-interns. You know, you know, you get kids from all different backgrounds, and the the general feeling from most of our interns when it's their first experiences the weight in the weight room is, oh, that the kid left sweaty and tired, and they said they're really sore and almost threw up. That was great. And meanwhile, we're like, they should have felt fresh when they left today. That was not the point of the workout. So the having the objectives is huge and I think that was one element that was really crucial in my development when I was an intern was you know I had simple tasks like I had to bring the laundry up every day and if the laundry was there I did my job good but the other thing to to learn and develop as a coach was I sat through and did all of the data back before we had our technological workout cards we had paper workout cards and I had to sit there and look at every single card, like, all right, did this kid hit his weight or not? And we would grade the workouts. And if they hit their weights, they got a good grade. If they, you know, hit half their weights, they got an average grade. And if they hit no weights or didn't work out, they got a zero. And that was very helpful for me to see, like, there is a difference between showing up and, like, again, going back to the intent, intent of hitting what you were supposed to do and then just kind of showing up and going through the motions. And then that progressed into – okay, let's look at actual numbers and amount of weight moved. And from the amount of weight moved, did we hit the amount of weight we were supposed to move? Did we hit more or less? How far off were we? Could we have done something better on our end? And then that's when we start looking at the, the evaluation that I did with you in the beginning of the summer, like, okay, our, our testing times improved based on this program in this position group, but not this one. So this position group to start this summer training needs a little different focus. And moving from that to then evaluate the entire summer session of, wow, the first block, our athletic testing numbers didn't really change, but then they like super jumped at the end of the summer 
even though that first plan didn't change anything athletically, weight room wise, they changed significantly and they were able to do a lot more in that second session that catapulted their numbers to the level we'd want them to be at by the end of the summer. So being able to take those little, like going from daily, just did they hit what they were supposed to this day to by the end of summer 2017, being able to look and scale back, like I'm in August, football is about to start. Did all the work I did with them starting back in January pay off? Did we get more athletic? That spectrum of being able to go from that little, you know, tiny detail to the grand scheme overview at the end was, uh, it was great. Cause then that's how we learned. Like we're able to look at the stuff on the day and predict out next August where we should be. And that helped me with my conversations with coaches that I'd start to work with and all of that. So, um, and then we started, you know, we improved, like we did all that by hand. Then we got the technology. Our, our workouts were able to be online and we'd have a database directly online instead of me having to write everything out, go type it in Excel, download a file, just plug in the formulas. We're good to go. And then now we've got all that. We've got even more data available to us because it's online. We're able to make new, new ways of auto updating or, you know, evaluating our plans. So the the systems that we're able to develop after that and then take those systems that we made and develop them further but teach them to the interns so that they're able to focus on that and then we get to now go back to the athletes it was able to pass the torch from i learned it helped make it to now here here in intern coach intern you get to look at this put the numbers in but when you're done evaluate it what did you just look at like teaching them that that's a way to develop themselves as a coach to understand what they're doing was huge. Yeah. And I specifically remember uh, that instance you were talking about where we wrote a plan um, and, and we thought it was good. We, we looked at it, it went, it was smooth and you know, everything was fine. And then when we ran the numbers uh, at the end of that um, cycle, so looking, I believe it was June one to July one, we're like, this didn't do what we wanted to do. And I think it's so important is to make sure that, you know, you don't need to chase numbers, but you certainly need to measure things because then you can manage that. And that's a, that's a famous Drucker line from managing oneself. And, and I think that applies to both business, but also to how you handle your craft and to be foolish to think that, you know, how do you define good? Is it that the team did well? Is it the position group did well? Or do you actually hold yourself accountable to every individual? I remember in that block, I think it was something along the line of we didn't have enough uh, lifts and reps and tonnage uh, over the 80% band or over the 85th. And I think you came back and said, you know, if we tweaked a few things here, change the RP a little bit here uh, next time around, um, we could actually accomplish what we wanted to. And, and specifically at that time, looking at power peak, but also repeated um, both in the rack loaded and unloaded. Um, and then the next summer it was, it was much better and much better in the sense of, individuals um, as a whole, but then also all-time records and kind of pushing it forward. And that, that evolution that you described, I think is so important. Everyone's looking for the silver bullet. You know, what's the magic thing that we need to do? And, and really the magic is that process and time. The, the actually being on the floor um, is fun. It's an enjoy, it's, it's the show. It's the behind the scenes work of crunching the numbers, doing the data and, and not just data. I mean, anybody can throw data at you. You know, we had every shiny toy and everything, um, you know, in front of us, but really it's how did we gain our insight and how did we get there quicker? 
Um, you know, this is a race. This is an ability to generate the best version of people possible, but it doesn't do us any good if they do it when they graduate. So how do we do this? Instead of junior year, we get it done sophomore year, or we get it done freshman year and, and going through that process. So you will write bad programs. I've, if I ever meet anybody and they say, my programs are perfect, I'm, I'm a little, you know, I want to know what they're, they're doing because I've never done that. And so that constant refining, even just 1% is massive because as you alluded to, since 2017, every single rep and set and tonnage has been recorded in Team Builder that you could call on it as a director now, 10 years from now, somebody could call on it. So it's all there. So I think that's so important, um, you know, as you mentioned, of just making sure that you understand it is the process of iteration that kind of is that, that magic pill. And as you continue to build your staff out. So, and, and I know that sometimes interns want to do the fun stuff. Young coaches want to do the fun stuff. Um, but as you mentioned, you picked up the laundry every day and didn't miss. And when they would clean the weight room, how they set up the racks and that, that attention to detail and care, walk me through kind of like, what do you look for now? Both, you know, stuff that we've talked about in the past, but what do you look for now from basically orientation on for, you know, knowing when they're ready for what level? I think one of the biggest things that I've been learning, um, is the, uh, the, the ability to work and work constantly everyone's excited day one. Uh, like you said, everybody wants to do the fun stuff. They, they know they're coming to a division one school. They get to work with varsity athletes. They get to work with kids who might go play at the professional level. Day one's always great. And then you hit them with the training you have to do. And it's like, okay, it's still great. I'm, I'm going to learn a lot. It's awesome. And then day two, you're a little bit more tired. You're like, well, never worked 12 hours. And, you know, wait, now I got to go work 12 hours again. Oh, sudden change. We got to work 14 hours because, you know, a shipment came in that no one was planning for and it took two hours to unload. The consistency is one of the, one of the biggest things that we, we really have to look for and will help tell who's going to be separated in, in the groups. Um, everything's easy one time to do this day in, day out, week after week, month after month, semester after semester. That's the, uh, that's the challenge. So what you really see is those people who want to improve and get better every day. It's that 1%, like that's what they're going for. Um, you know, you, they ask those questions again, I'll, I'll never forget the, the most times that I learned things from you when I was an intern was never just in the weight room. It was, we'd go get food after we were done on a Friday night and talk about the entire week. Because Friday night would end an hour earlier, we'd get all our stuff done, and it's 7 30, 8 o'clock, and we're just like, it's time to go get food. So, those kids who want to put that time in outside of the job to consistently improve themselves, and it's not just when they're here and scheduled on the clock, that's how you can tell somebody's going to constantly put that effort in to improve themselves. Because it's the ones who know that they don't know anything are the, are the ones who are going to learn the most. When people think they have all the answers or that there's only a few answers they still need to get, that's, that's the, the population that misses the mark. And unfortunately, in strength and conditioning, it seems to be the larger percentage of the field thinks that they have all the answers. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we, we always talk about, I know my two things, you know, I was always looking for was, are you positive? 
Oh yeah. I love strength and conditioning. Well, do you love it when you're tired? Do you love it 14 weeks in? Do you love it when, you know, as you mentioned, you were supposed to go home at three, but now it's here at nine, your team needs you. Oh, by the way, there's a recruiting camp this weekend and Oh, you also have to do this and that. And suddenly you may not like it, but typically people either fell into one of two categories and that was either they were glass half full or glass half empty. So when things hit the wall, they either internally, you know, crumbled on themselves or they rallied for the people around them and being, you know, excited that, you know, there's no other place I'd rather be miserable with uh, than with you. And, and truthfully, it wasn't a misery. It was an aw- awesome time because those kind of cultures kind of build up momentum and velocity um, to get to the point where they were unstoppable. And then yeah, another thing you alluded to is the work capacity. It's really hard. There's a lot of great 10 hour a week coaches, you know, and there's fewer 20 hour a week coaches. And, you know, if you're lucky, you can find a 40 hour a week coach. And when I say that, I mean, that from day one, second one to the very, very last rep to you close up the shop, that they have that same level of excellence. Cause you can do 40 hours, but hour one and hour 40 might look a little bit different. And so that drop-off is something I always look for. What are your two things that, you know, kind of, as you go forward now uh, with some of the hires that you've made, what are the, the two things or one thing that you look for that's an absolute must got to have? The, the very first thing that I would say we look for, I, I look for is, uh, again, that, that understanding of why we're doing things at Yale the way we do them and how that's a benefit. Um, the, the last two hires that we brought in have come from um, other universities after having been at Yale. Some of the reasons that they stuck out to me and were in the forefront of my mind was not just because, you know, they reached out to me, but they reached out and said specifically, I miss the way Yale does things from safety to standards, to coaching, to philosophies. And, you know, being able to look at the information that's out there, look at the results that we get from the information and the way we utilize it as well and understand that there's something to it and not want to just take it and say, like, let me put my twist on it or let me go somewhere else and combine the two. That, that was one of the you know, biggest things for me, because again, that drop off, like you mentioned our, if we have to go 40 hours, there's a chance 40 hours uh, could be a little different than hour one. But if you have that staff of seven for the 800 kids and everybody can provide the same quality training and has that same mindset mentality, you can divvy up the hours a little better throughout the week to make hour 40 match hour one better. So that's definitely a, a big indicator is, is understanding that when you go someplace again, it, for us, it's like, do they understand our way? Finding a place that's unified. That's probably the best advice that I could give is as long as you're unified somewhere and you know that your group has your back and you guys are approaching it as a department and not every coach for themselves. That's, that's really the point that I was getting at. That's critical for the, the first thing that we look for. And then, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was going to say uh, the, the second thing really then too is that hunger to learn and, and want to improve and know more. Um, every time I talk to somebody in this field who's been here for 20, 30 years, I feel dumber and dumber every time. You know, I could go talk to other people that, you know, only look at the bright, shiny new thing and feel smarter, but it won't, it won't make up for the fact that I know if I go talk to somebody 
that's been doing this for years and training some of the best athletes in the world that I know nothing and I need to keep improving myself, even with the results that, I've, that we've been seeing here, because I want more results. I want better results. We want to push the envelope, not just be satisfied with what we're getting. So I want my coaches to feel the same way. Yeah, we uh, we talk about this all the time and we get asked, you know, what what are what are the metrics we should be looking at off the plates? What are the things I should be looking for? And, and you know, what should I do when I see this number, you know? And, and so it's nice. I mean, th- these plates give you incredible clarity. I think, you know, Eric's uh, Renegan's description of a CAT scan or an MRI uh, of performance is pretty good. It's a diagnostic tool. But then when you follow up with, okay, well, give me your last six months of your workout logs. Give me your last year. And you don't have that. The shiny things um, are ultimately going to be limited um, by the fundamentals. And I think, again, that's why the talent of who you bring in is so important. The, the internship program was so critical for getting in. We always would say raw diamonds. They need some polish. They got to do whatever, but we got to know what we're looking for. And anyone that's interested in kind of that talent search, uh, there's a great book called The Talent World. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, really worth the read because no matter what organization institution you're in, you are always, always going to be governed by the culture and the people that you bring in. And just, we talked about all the time, you couldn't, you can't fix quitter. You know, if you're a team person, you're a team person. If you're humble and hungry, you know, there's a little bit of that's genetic and you're going to teach someone institutional knowledge. You're going to teach them reps and sets. And by definition, younger coaches should have less knowledge than older coaches. Um, but those core values and what makes, you know, people tick, um, that's usually set in stone, especially by the time they graduate college. So making sure that not only do you have an effective plan to try to recruit and bring and retain uh, talent, but that you also can then produce them. And as you mentioned, you are an operations guy. You know, we have other individuals that are much more uh, emotional intelligence focused or very computer um, data focused, but how do you get them to work together as a group um, is both a, a delicate um, you know, art and science in and of itself. So, and, and I know in the in, internship orientation, there's a lot of different elements. Typically uh, young coaches are drinking life through a fire hose um, throughout those days. What are some of the aspects of the orientation for those who may not know um, that you particularly like or, or particularly insightful to who might be someone that you're going to consider? Um, and then from, you know, day one of orientation to day whatever, um, how does that change? What are some of those aspects that you particularly like? My favorite one by far is the drilling of setting up and breaking down rooms and getting turnover times. And we actually just had a perfect example um, in our training the other day, our athletic testing day. That was one of our drill and setups in the orientation for our current group. Took a solid two hours for us to finally hit our mark. We know that we can get the room set up and turned over in under five minutes, usually looking for a time of three minutes and started out day one, couldn't even get the room set up right in 10 minutes. Two hours later, we finally hit that three minute mark. And yesterday we lived and breathed why we needed to be able to turn that over. We had four different testing times. The first one was fine, not too challenging. Second and three were a little bit more dynamic, but only testing going on in the room. Then our last uh, hour of training in the night had kids who needed testing had seven of 15 or nine of 15 racks in the room have training going on because it was limited number of athletes testing and just circumstances that were going on we had to do testing and lift at the same time we never do that we hate to do that 
but the situation called for it and we had to adapt and the you know the interns were able to see like this is why you need to have that turnover now you don't have nine people setting it up everybody had to know how to do every job because i had two people to set up break down move equipment get lasers on get lasers connected do everything that we needed to do and um you know we were able to tell them at the end of the day in our debrief this is why this was important you guys were more prepped for this testing day and able to handle this better than any lift that we have because you prepped for that for two hours on a sunday on memorial day weekend and that was the level of commitment and that, you know that's one of those things where the people who care and understand and see that translation i, I love that drill um you know, in terms of another drill, that's a great question. There's so many good ones that we have, uh, so many come to mind, but the, the drills of setups and breakdowns are some of my favorite. Probably my last one would be the plate changes too, because for those who don't know, you'll uh, now with three weight rooms, we have two weight rooms in pounds and one in kilograms. So that's always fun for our, our uh, interns to come here and learn. Not only do they need to be able to get plates on and off the bar fast, be able to know the math to help the athletes now they also have to do you know conversions from you know kilograms to pounds because team builder the you know the app that we use it uh only records weight in pounds that's the setting we have so in the weight room the bars are in kilos the cable stacks in pounds the dumbbells are either or it's great that's a good time so having them to practice learn learning that they also also one of their first times like those two drills is one of their first times learning how to work as a team because you can't just be focused on your side of the bar when you're putting plates on if you got to load 405 pounds on the bar and you're working with you know if you're a 6'4 260 pound guy and you're working with a 5'2 110 pound girl you'll probably be able to move the 55 kilo plates a little bit quicker and if you throw all the weights on before she gets one on that bar flips and you're the one getting hit not not the other person so learning to work and communicate together in synchrony it's that's one of those reasons i really love that drill because again it emphasizes that teamwork mentality that we we love to have yeah i think those are moments too is you you there's a certain look there's a certain look that the good ones have where they're excited and they have these aha moments that they accomplish something as a team you know, we did this, our team did that. We'd always talk about, you know, at the end of the day, win or lose, when the athletes go out there, nobody's going to know the behind the scenes stuff. So it's a, it's a win or it's a loss for everybody. And taking pride in the craft, as you mentioned, the three minute exchange, you might have plow boxes out, you might have landmines out, you might have things all over the place, but you've got three minutes to strip the room, get it back, and then lay down laser testing and intake people, you know, get their information. And so it, uh, if anybody's trying to visualize what this looks like, uh, go watch NASCAR, a pit change, a pit crew change. That's, that's kind of what it looks like. But then being able to walk away from that, the number of times, you know, you'd hear people say like, wow, I didn't know I could do that as a coach. There's a lot of parallels to developing a young coach to the parallels of developing an athlete. Um, you know, I remember so many interns being upset. That was a terrible day or I did a bad job. It's like, yep. Okay. Move on next day. And did you learn from it? Um, you might have three bad days in a row, but it's the individuals that are trying to get better every day. Um, just statistically, you're not going to have every day be perfect, but it's your approach towards the next day. Um, that, you know, really regardless of what drill we did or whatever, um, task was at hand, it's how they handled the adversity. Um, that was really, really critical to projecting out who is going to be successful. So 
And I mean, you mentioned we worked with cards, you know, and I, and I think there's something to be said for that of manually going through a printout workout card, transcribing it into Google Sheets, you know, being able to do the hand equations to now, uh, now you're bougie and fancy. You got things, you know, CSV dumps. I know Tovi can rip a couple of data slicers and get it there, but having that fundamental knowledge um, of why and how those things matter is super important. How else have you kind of just even in the short time uh, seen the coaching change uh, from your perspective? I think people just realize now that there's so much more to, to the field than just, you know, having someone yelling and, and jumping around in the weight room and asking for exercises. And I think it's a slow change, but we're going to get there where people really will learn the uh, importance of what our field does. Um, it, it's going to always be a struggle. There's always going to be the shiny new thing, but it's, it's just been shown over and over and over. There's so many sports scientists out there collecting data and showing that there's data that can be analyzed in all sorts of different ways that, we're going to go the route where science will matter and it won't be all that matters. You'll still need to have the blend of being able to be the coach in the room. But I think we're going to see more of a 50, 50 split that you need to be able to understand the science as well as manage a room with thousands of pounds moving. If you really truly want to be successful, we're still in it where if a school can get some of the best athletes, they're going to, they're going to compete no matter what. But you know, for those schools that are, competing for that top level take Yale being one of them in men's lacrosse it was a perfect example the second that switch got flipped where the physical side matters just as much as the technical side and our physical side was focused on not just you know throwing weight around in a weight room but being precise and down to the pound and percentage exact that that gives you the recipe for a national championship and uh, another appearance the following year and, you know, hopefully many more to come. So that's uh, I think that's how coaching is changing. People see that it matters and the, the lack of understanding on the sport coaches side and not necessarily wanting to admit it, I think is still slowly holding us back a little bit, but um, I think it's going to get there. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think the amount of clarity of what the heck is going on, you know, in the weight room. I mean, most coaches, if you ask them, you know, the weight room, it's this giant, you know, black box and the kids go in, they get shook up, they, you know, come out sweaty and it's good. And the more sweaty they are, the, the better it is. But then there is some reservation and, and rightfully so too. Uh, as a sport coach, you know, if your best athletes are getting hurt slash your athletes are not more resilient or they're breaking down whatever the negative cycle is, um, there is a little bit of uh, hesitation. Uh, and now, you know, you can go in and measure these things. And we mentioned that before, if you can measure it, then you can manage it. And that's not to say it's one or the other, you know, well, they don't, you know, the, the athletes, the, the girls don't look great today. Correct. That's validated with extra data, you know, whether we see their powers down or something changed in their stiffness or, you know, any other host of metrics, it confirms what you as the coach see. And also to not waiting until, you know, I didn't feel good. Now I'm injured. We would anticipate that, you know, maybe two weeks out, start to see people run down 
and, and, you know, we didn't know what was going on. Now you can jump on that. I know there's been multiple instances where I know you've told me you looked at the data and, and immediately went to the, you know, the head coach, talk to coach Reno and say, Hey, I'm concerned about these guys. What can we do to about change their practice? And to be clear, it's not to say they need a day, you know, an easy day or day off. It might just be simple as saying, let's not do deep ball. Let's not do striking. We can still get a ton of work done. And I think really, you know, that integration of, and the marriage of the, the sport coach and then the strength coach having the same language to talk from biology is biology. Newtons are Newtons. Physics is physics. And so if you can now have this kind of common ground and in the professional setting, you know, to the agents, to the general managers, to medicine, that's something that didn't exist 10 years ago. Everybody kind of lived in their own little silo, but, you know, coaching is kind of moving towards a unified team collaborative approach. And uh, I think data is going to kind of lead the way. What, um, you know, what, what are you kind of right now focused on or excited about within your stuff? I know you typically go down these rabbit holes, you know, three, four months at a time and particularly interested in, and whether it's something that you're trying to improve or something that's kind of piqued your interest, where, where are you uh, headed right now? And what are you kind of interested in? I think one of the, the, the things that um, me and my staff have really started talking about is we have so many things to collect the data getting set points, getting correlations, and then understanding the relations between them and how training can manipulate them. Specifically talk, specifically talking about our sports where having power, but repeated power in both the speed and explosiveness component, as well as the cardiovascular component, finding ways to, uh, you know, relate them together and see how we get that ideal combination of we have a kid who is explosive, they are able to repeat that explosiveness, but they're able to maintain that over the duration of a game and finding some way to tie that together to make a metric to show the coaches, yes, this, this kid has some deficiency in one of those areas. This is where the deficiency is, and this is how we fix it. You know, we, I can think of the number of conversations that we've had with coaches where, yes, your person is slow, your athlete is slow, but you know why they're slow? They're weak. They can't produce the force to run a 300 shuttle, 300 yard shuttle in under 55 seconds, which is why they never will. It's great that they're able to repeat 58 two times in a row for conditioning. Great. Their cardiovascular is awesome. They need to be stronger and more explosive or that endurance doesn't matter because they're getting blown away by the person who can run. 49 seconds and then repeat the 49 seconds at 55 or 56 both tries that person's still better even though they had more of a drop off so trying to find a a way to relate these numbers so that we can actually have a score to indicate to coaches the the relationship between the actual strength and power and the cardiovascular side of things um with all of the tools that we have now we we have ways to start collecting that data to kind of make those connections, you know, more understandable for, for our sport coaches. Yeah. It's, it's incredible that everything seems just so separate of cardio is different than speed speeds, different than this or speed power. And it gets really confusing, but at the end of the day, as you mentioned, you, you got to be strong, like just straight up, you've got to be strong and, and that's forceful. So force, and then power is a derivative of that speed is a derivative of that being able to repeat that as a derivative of a derivative. And we talked about uh, rates versus absolutes. And, and I think very quickly, um, you know, you can get lost, but just starting with something simple, coach, if, if this is, if this goes down, that's a no good, 
if this goes up, is going to be better. And, and we, that's the, the delicate balance between productivity. Yes, they are quick and explosive um, to strategy. Yes, they can do it, but then we also just, you know, run them hot. So now that there's a chance for a breakdown. And I think every time people are looking for the one off or what is the one thing, but realizing this stuff is all interconnected. You can have the best plan in the world, run a great week of training and you roll in on a Friday and you are handed a dumpster fire because there was a social event or there was something that went on that, you know, caused a disruption uh, in their recovery. And so now you have to pivot and you may have, I don't know if you're lucky, you'll have a day and more realistically, it's you're finding out from uh, maybe medicine that, you know, right before the lift, they went in and, and, you know, they need to make a change of course of action. So, and having something planned for that, um, certainly it's, it's figuring out how do you tell that story, um, but then also function in a day-to-day environment. So, um, you know, that's obviously a challenge, um, for people that are listening, they probably think that your day consists a lot of, you know, weight room time and, and, you know, just really just training a lot of athletes on the floor, but what does your typical day look like? How do you organize it? And, and you've mentioned throughout this time, seems like a lot of data seems like a lot of backend work, just kind of, if someone's listening, what is your typical layout of either a day or a week um, time-wise and allocation, if someone was going to try to replicate some of these things that you're talking about? So my typical day, I'll generally start off with an hour of prepping for whatever my morning lift sessions would be run through all of my morning lift sessions. That hour of prep is for all of them. Hour of evaluating those lift sessions afterwards. And then if I'm lucky, I get a break. If I'm, unlucky, which 90% of the time it is, there's some kind of meeting, there's some kind of coach meeting, uh, medical meeting, staff meeting, developmental meeting for interns, or somebody will usually need something in that time. Um, and hopefully throughout that time, I find five minutes to throw some food in my face, drink an energy drink. And then uh, I'm usually into that next hour of prep for the next lift, which lift block, I should say, which generally can be anywhere from three to six hours at a time, and then repeating that process of hour of backend data. Um, that, that's pretty typical for me for about four days out of the week. Usually, maybe one of those days, I don't have a morning or an afternoon session of lifts, and I have a little bit more time to do a bit more of the work. Uh, I usually have one day a week dedicated to as many meetings in that backend work as possible. Um, weekends it'll all depend on the year but uh pretty pretty common that i'm doing some work at home on the weekends to get myself ready for the week and you know at that point it's i'm not even considering a work because i get to be at home i get to sit with my dog while he sheds all over me it's great and he's excited and wagging his tail everywhere and all all the fur comes off and it just ends up on me but that's pretty typical week that can vary from you know semester to semester as well because you you depending on teams you work with your uh, times of years will highly dictate how um, how your training should look you should be a bit more busy in your auditing in your off season if your athletes are lifting more than your in season if you're you know kids are lifting a couple less times a week out of all that what's your favorite part I know there's a lot of parts but what's your favorite part if you could lock yourself into one of those segments of your week what's your favorite part the floor time, off-season floor time is the best time. There's nothing more exciting than getting your athletes in there, moving weight, getting after it, getting excited, knowing that that's their focus. Because when they're in season, they know they got to do it, but they're excited for their practices and games. But uh, it, it, the games are great too, but 
it's nice to see the rewards of the training. But when you're in there in the moment and you're seeing your kids squat 400, 400, 500, 500, benching 350 or 400, and then, you know, that's just the guys who talk about the, the ladies getting in there, squatting in the, the low to mid twos and, you know, benching their body weight, cleaning their body weight for the first time. And one of my favorite training sessions was with the field hockey team in 2019 when every single kid on that team power cleaned over their body weight for the first time. They went nuts. And it was the loudest shrieking you'd ever hear. They were so loud you couldn't hear Dancing Queen playing on the speakers in the background, for, which was nice for me. That was a great break. But uh, yeah, that, that off-season training is one of my favorite times for sure. Then the, the dog's a close second. you funny you talk about the floor uh again i think the floor time either makes or breaks you it either energizes you um or just some people just get crushed because you are on stage um so you have to be hyper alert and that either fuels you or or drains you uh and you mentioned that field hockey team again i can't i I can't stress it enough you guys ever anybody ever want to see the model for how things should be run for intensity in the weight room you come watch that field hockey team it was unbelievable i'll never forget we were in season football I think we were nationally ranked at the time doing great. I think it was a Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. or something like that. And the guys are out there and they're doing their job and it was fine. And they were being intentional. It was great. But I just remember hearing this loud, just absolute chaos from the other side of the room. And I literally, I couldn't tell if someone died or what was going on. It was insane. I go over, look, one of the ladies in season is doing a chin up with, I believe she had the, the 25 kilo plate or just something upset. And she bang out two chin ups. And everybody's going bananas. And then the guy's are like, oh, my God, did you see that? I said, I did see that. And the more the fact that they just came in with such an intensity and the culture that you built on that, that it didn't matter if it was 6 a.m., if they won. I don't even know if they won or lost or whatever that week, but it was like, oh, my, it, it was on. So that's a real testament to the kind of culture that you bred. Um, and then the ladies just getting after it. it. The expectation is you are strong. The expectation is, is that strong is confident. And, you know, that that's part of the leadership and. You know, it's really, uh, I think it's infectious. I know there's times too, we would specifically pair up teams with the field hockey team um, and other teams as well. You know, I, I, again, I don't want to just focus just on one, but I would say the volleyball team as well and, and countless others where you could actually put in a young freshman or sophomore that's looking to model after an individual or a team or if you're trying to change culture and it's infectious. It, positively or negatively, the, the, the weight room vibe can be one of the major catalysts at developing a program, maintaining a culture, um, and the physical stuff's the easy stuff. That, that's just going to happen when you you load up the weight, but just getting the mind right. And it's okay to scream. It's okay to be excited. I remember personally working with the golf team, and the first thing we did was practice storming the racks. And they all looked at me, what do you mean storming the racks? I said, you're going to run to the racks, and you're going to make an absolute scene, and you're going to take those racks over like they're yours. And they're like, this guy's out of his mind. And you know what? After a week or two, they started doing it. Then they started getting after it. Then they're screaming. Then they're, they're laughing with me. And again, it's just such an example of, yeah, they could come in and lift or they could come in with, you know, some intent or they could come in with intent and passion. And then that now spreads. And I remember everyone saying, oh, we're not them or we can't be like them or they're better than well, everybody has that day one. And I think, you know, the art of coaching is getting people to even try day one. Because after day one, you can get to day two, um, but you have to create an environment where it's okay to fail. And it's also okay to succeed and go outside your comfort zone. So you didn't get the rep. You didn't finish the uh, set, but did you give maximum effort? And then, you know, loving that up. So um, again, you know, floor time is incredible and it's, and it's, uh, it's something that should be seen by everybody when it's done right. 
So um, kind of, again, I don't, I want to come back to a couple different things. Um, when you talk about, you know, your development, I was very fortunate. I would tell you something and, you know, a month later, you'd be like, you know, I thought about what you said and I couldn't even remember what I had said, but you had thought about it and you came back and, and you had not only thought about what I'd asked you, you'd gone and researched on your own or talked to people. You always kind of had a growth mindset. What are you currently doing now to kind of further yourself and development, but then also to passing that kind of growth mindset down to your staff? The, the plan I currently have for myself to get better is I'm reading more books. I love podcasts and podcasts are great, but I, I love to sit and read and process. And it's been a while since I've had a chance to read books and I can't stress enough that I can and that uh, stress enough that the importance that they have. Um, and then the other, the other element that I'm doing is if I read a book and somebody else is mentioned in the book, I'm writing that name down to go and find their book. I'm currently on uh, Louis Simmons' West Side book and it's a, it's a trip to read it. But when I see things in there, you know, like he, he mentions the, the Tudor Bampa periodization book, it, it's refreshing to know that this guy is referencing something else that I've already read. And so any other name he throws out there, uh, I like to take the notes on it and then sit and process what's being said in, in all these different, um, you know, texts that are out there. And the way I'm, I'm passing that mindset on to the staff is we, we have staff meetings every week. We have one big staff meeting every week where we are going to have an educational component every day. We're going to refresh stuff that the staff that's been here knows because we have new staff, but we're also going to encourage everybody to bring in new information as well. We, we've got a, our one member on staff who's dedicated to sports science we are gonna have him deep dive teach every single scientific element to our training, you know, using the force plates, using velocity training, what all of it means. He, he's tested all of the different devices that we have against the force plates to make sure things line up and are accurate. So that's, um, you know, we're gonna have, you know, our own classroom lecture-like sessions, but then actually get out on the floor and use the equipment, practice it, understand what it means and what some of that stuff should feel like as well. Kind of with all that, what are some of the insights that you've had? You know, I know you're talking about both the future, but I know you guys have done that both this entire spring. And, and of course, throughout the years, um, we were fortunate enough to have lecturers from all over the world come in and talk to us. What's some of the biggest insights you've had kind of in the last I don't know, last month, last six months, and then maybe um, in the last couple of years, kind of breaking it up into those th three different chunks. Uh, one, of the, one of the last insights is that, uh, the most recent ones actually, is um, just the general lack of understanding upper body training that, that I've had. Again, we talk about it. We've developed some really good, really strong athletes. We've, we've had multiple linemen bench in you know the 400s, you know, as they're starting to graduate here, and just seeing ways that we can change some of our programs um, based on again some of this information that I'm reading in these texts. And again, it's not like the textbooks are telling me this is how you should train, but it's the information that's in there when I read what they say and break it down and compare it to other stuff that we already know, I'm like, this makes a lot of sense. And I just feel dumb for not, you know, not thinking about it. So that, uh, the, the upper body and in ways to manage the loads in training, combining, you know, a few different areas of uh, research has really helped me understand ways we can 
better train that, especially I look at it in handling our injured athletes who, you know, will mainly only be able to train upper body while they're recovering from a a lower, lower body injury or something like that. So that's one of my uh, most recent insights that I've had. Um, Last six months is much more on the professional side. Just that uh, when, when you move up and you're responsible for other people and you're, you're in charge of not just, you know, a staff where before I would really be more involved in, in running a lot of stuff for interns and maybe a new coach or two, but now being the one in charge of all of the staff, as well as that internship, again, we have a person dedicated to the directing and coordinating of it, but it's still part of the department here. The, the organization and planning has to be through the roof. Can't even just go, day at a time it's got it's got to be you know weeks months planning for when things will go wrong and uh again just kind of having that grand scale picture that that's a big insight that i've had you know moving up in responsibility even one step every time you move up it's a different level of preparedness that you need to have to be able to succeed and excel in the job probably the you know, the year is a tough one. I, it's, it's hard because so many new things have happened recently. I don't think I can go back for a full year. I'd have to think on that one a little bit more. Well, what if you went back in time? You know, if you, uh, if you went back to day one, Coach TJ, run the vert and, you know, had to tell yourself, give yourself a little insight, you know, what would you go back in time and tell yourself? If I was to go back and tell myself one thing, it would be to soak up the details, you know, even more. Don't don't waste any time uh, going back to having to refresh the details because the details matter. It's something I know we've we've talked about. I'm sure you've uh, talked about it recently as well too. Um, if you can't have pride in the little details and the little things, the those you know, the emotional connections, the, the personal relationships, the cleaning, the, the laundry, if you can't take pride and understand why those details matter and how it affects the other people around you, you'll never understand the rest of the job. The, the big, flashy, shiny, exciting things, you don't get there if you don't do those other details right. Yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned that from day one, you'd come in, you'd take care of the laundry, you take care of the turf, you take care of the cleaning, you take care of these little things. And they really do all kind of connect. And as you, you know, go through the process, you mentioned people leave, they come back, you know, what was annoying that they had to put things a certain way when they leave and then come back, they go, I understand. And I don't think there's anything you can do to hurry that process. It takes time, it takes experience. Um, but then it makes a little bit more sense and it kind of unlocks, um, a whole bunch of different opportunities. But again, some people can't get past those little things that they don't particularly like at the moment. There's a lot of things that you don't like, but maybe it's because you don't understand. And so just being able to kind of submit yourself to that process and understand, wow, if I'm going to go spend a time at a location and these people are putting this time into my growth and development, you know, it, you, you remember me saying it a, it's growing pains, not growing funds. And some of those largest growth moments come out of those times of, I don't want to do that. Or, you know what, we should have followed that system. Or that's, as you mentioned, the, the room changes, that's why that stuff makes sense. Um, but they had to see it um, and ultimately um, go through kind of that live experience to make it connect. And as a mentor, obviously making sure that they're prepared for those things. So 
again, coach, thank you so much. Again, we, we accomplished a lot throughout the years. I'm super excited to watch you continue to take it to a whole new level. We, uh, when we started, it was, you'll never win a championship. Uh, we did that. Uh, you'll never, you know, go back to back. Um, yeah, we went back and, and then some, and I still think that 2020 and 21 team lacrosse would have been pretty great. Uh, I'm not going to hold out on that. I'll come out and just say that right away. Um, but super excited to see you and the staff continue to grow and crush it for anybody who's listening. Uh, coach TJ is great as far as follow-up. So again, they can shoot you, uh, an email or, or reach out to you. He's willing to help, but again, uh, so proud of everything you've done from day one, uh, to now watching you guys crush it. So good luck, have a great summer and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me coach. Appreciate it.